You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Like I mentioned, we're in this series, Between Two Worlds, uh, which is talking about the fact that there, are, there is the culture and the systems and the processes of the natural world we live in. But there is also a culture and a system to God's kingdom, the kingdom that is now and the kingdom that is to come. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, it feels like we are very much all within one kind of way of doing things. And then there are definitely moments in life where I feel like, oh, what, what world have I just stepped into? So I know, for example, like if I'm driving along Green Lane in central Auckland, if the traffic's all of a sudden really bad, I know there's a convention on. And one of the big conventions that happens at the ASB showgrounds is a thing called, I think it's called Armageddon or something to that effect. And I know it's Armageddon because there are seven-foot Pikachus walking down the street. Okay, like I always, I always marvel at those things. Like you've got the seven-foot Pikachus, you've got your people in like their armor and um, multicolored hair and all the rest of it. And I always think like, where do these, where are these people during the week? Like, where do they come from? Um, sometimes it's a little more subtle, but a little more real. A couple of years ago, I was invited to a games night at a friend's place. And I was like, sounds good. It was, it, I was lied to, people. I'm just going get, to get some, uh, get some of this, my hurt off my chest. I was lied to. I was told, come along, we're going to play some games, it'll be fun. I'm like, cool, easy, like, easy games night. I get there, and it was not a games night, because games is plural. And we got there, there was no games on the table. There was one game, and it was called Settlers of Catan. <laughs> now, who loves Settlers of Catan? Bless you, I don't understand you. It has a million rules to it. There's like wood and bricks and ships and pirates and all sorts of stuff. And like for them to explain the game to me took about 20 minutes. And I didn't take 100% of that in. I was just kind of praying that the rapture would come and Jesus would take me. In the midst of this conversation, one of the guys admitted that he has written a book on this game and released it on Amazon. And I'm like, what? So I felt like that was coming into a different world. But for you and I, there's a greater sense of a different world. Come on, where we go day to day, where we, the role we step into, there can be a pull and a tension between the, work, the way that our world operates and what God would have for us. And if we're going to be light to this world, if we're going to be salt to this earth, if we're going to be a point of difference, if we're going to walk this out with discernment and judgment and uh, be a revelation of God's character and his love, we've got to understand that we're between two worlds and how to navigate that. And a couple of months ago, uh, during a Heartbeat series, I spoke a message called Better Out Than In. Who was there for Better Out Than In? Anyone? Great, three rows. It's good. Welcome to church. Uh, but I spoke a message about Better Out Than In, which was all about this. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus, God's only son, died for us to allow us to come into relationship with the Father, we have been given everything we need. In fact, Ephesians says we've been given every uh, heavenly blessing. Because he has given us everything, rather than try and go in and bring stuff in for ourselves and trying to build our own empire, we can instead go out to serve other people to bring them into the kingdom. In other words, it's not about us anymore. It's about others. We serve God by reaching others. And this morning, we're going to talk about something very similar to that. So we're going to turn to Matthew 19. And we're going to pick up this moment in this story. And uh, this moment comes where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples one day. Now, the disciples were a ragtag group. 
You know, I love those, those church paintings and from like centuries past with these men with these little halos around them, you know, usually with their arm, hands like this because that's what people did back then apparently. Gave themselves high fives. Um, and, there's, you know, they look really holy and serene and all the rest of it. But these guys were a ragtag bunch. You had Peter. Peter put his foot in his mouth so often he had scars on the inside from his toenails. Like this was a guy who just constantly put it out there. And he and his mates were fishermen, which there's nothing wrong with fishermen. Let that be on the record in case our senior pastor listens to this. There is nothing wrong with fishermen. Uh, but they, were, they weren't the, the, the creme de la creme. These guys weren't the first choice in life. These are guys who'd been looked over. And uh, Jesus asked these guys to come follow him. And then he had um, Simon the Zealot. Now, a zealot sounds like a really cool thing. It sounds like someone who's super enthusiastic. Uh, Zealots kind of came together on this idea that um, they shouldn't wait for God to save their nation from the Romans. They should just go out and kill them. So Simon was an, uh, an assassin in training, effectively. But he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, come follow me. Then you've got Matthew. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. Now, what you've got to know is that Matthew worked for the Roman Empire and would ta- take money from his fellow people, from his countrymen, to give to this oppressive force. Not only that, the tax collectors would skim a bit extra for themselves and keep it. And this guy's brought in. And then one day, these guys are all hanging around, and this guy called the rich young ruler approaches Jesus. Now, this guy is everything you'd want to be. This guy is like the man. He's a guy who walks in, everyone in the room turns and looks at him. He's a guy like if you're hanging out with your friend and this guy walks in, your friend pushes you out of the way and, and goes to talk to him. And this guy comes up and speaks to Jesus and says, hey, look, uh, Jesus, what more can I do to serve God faithfully? And Jesus says, well, you know the law, you should do this, you should do that and do that. And the guy goes, yep, I've been doing all of that since I was a young guy. At which stage the disciples are probably like rolling their eyes behind his back like, can you believe this guy? He thinks he's so good. Uh, and then Jesus says, cool, well, there's only one thing left that you really have to do then, which is sell everything you own and come follow me. And I reckon you would have felt like the air leave, I can't say air leave the room because they were probably outside, but air leave the atmosphere or something. Um, and the rich young ruler walks away sad. And the disciples at this point are like, gee, if this guy doesn't cut it, where do we fit in? And this is where this conversation in Matthew picks up. And so uh, we're going to turn to that passage in Matthew 19. Jesus says this, For anyone who has left behind their home and property, leaving family, brothers and sisters, mothers or fathers or children for my sake, they will be repaid a hundred times over and will inherit eternal life. But not only that, he said, but many who push themselves to be first will find themselves last. And those who are willing to be last will find themselves to be first. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. First, last, first, last. When Jesus says, if you push yourself to be first, you'll come last. And you, if you come last, you'll be first. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to live between two worlds where our world is saying, do whatever you can to get ahead? Do whatever you can. Push over people, walk over people, do some dodgy stuff. As long as you don't court and you get to be number one, that's the most important thing. And yet Jesus says, rather than push yourself first, come last so that in ultimate God's eyes, you'll come first. So this gets confusing, because if you're like me, I'd be like, yeah, cool, so if I come last, then I'll come first. So I'll put myself last, then I'll come first. But does that mean if I come first, then I'll be last again? And then how long before I... Anyone else like that? I, I think there's a, there's a sense of Machiavellian strategy in my family. My niece, who is five years old, when she was in preschool last year, 
she does, we, um, we discovered that she all of a sudden had a best friend, this girl in her class. And when it came down to what this girl in her class was that made her a best friend, it, she was given a pink lolly one day and she didn't want it, so my niece took it. I'm pretty sure that was the only criteria in my niece's mind for a best friend. I'll hang out with this girl and get free lollies. Okay? So that's how my brain works. How do you first and last? But let's talk about first and last in general. You know, there are things in life where we come first in. There's a, uh, a game uh, we, well, we're used to play as a family uh, called Bananagrams, which I know our Epic team are super into at the moment. Um, but it's basically like Scrabble with these tile letters and you've got to make, put words together in a grid and it's quite fast-paced. And it was a family game. And then I started winning about 80%, 90% of the time. And now it is no longer a family game because my parents no longer want to play it with me. Uh, in fact, they'll be like, do you want to play a game? I'm like, yeah, sure, what do you want to play? And they'll, be, and they'll give me all the options that don't include that. Um, you know when, you're, like, when kids are small and the parent and you let the kid win? Yeah, we've gone full circle the other way. They're just like... So I'll come first in that. Generally, quizzes, I'll do quite well on a quiz. But there are definitely moments in life where I don't come first. So if we can all go back to our primary school trauma... How many people remember when you were in um, sport as kids and you get two captains and then they'd get a turn to pick a person each? Anyone remember that? Three people did sport. Okay, great. Um, well, for those of you who weren't there, this is what it would look like. The whole class would stand in a group and then one captain would be over this side and they'd be like, yep, I'll take you. And the person on the other side would be like, oh, I really wanted that person, but then the next best person is this person. And it would kind of go on until there was only like a couple of people left, Right? I knew better than to expect to be picked in the first couple of people. My one hope was I was not the very last person. It generally didn't happen. Uh, but we can all relate to ideas of being first and last. And this, this morning we're really talking about the big picture of first and last. Like what does, it come, what does it look like to be first in life versus last in life? And I guess I want to really get to the harder things in regards to, well, God, if I'm going to serve you, if I'm going to live your way, if I'm going to serve other people... How do I know that I'm not just getting trampled over or walked over or in this whole process? Why should I trust you that if I put myself second that something good is going to come out of this? And that's what I really want to talk to you from this morning. And we're going to start by talking about a guy who faced that primary school sport lineup. In fact, even worse, he wasn't invited to the lineup. So we're going to do 1 Samuel 16. And at this time, uh, we're talking about the kingdom of Israel and they've had a new king called Saul and Saul was a guy who came first at everything. He was tall, he said he was a head taller than everybody else. He was good looking. When, when Saul walked around, had a bit of the swagger going. Um, but Saul turns out to be a bad king. He turns out to be a, um, a, a, a guy who, whose outer appearance was harmed by his inner weakness. And so the prophet of the time is a guy called Samuel. And God speaks to Samuel and says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem to anoint a new king. And so Samuel does that. He rocks up to Jesse's house and Jesse pulls out all his sons and, and this moment happens. We're going to pick up, I think, in verse 6. So when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before, stands here before the Lord. Okay, let's break it down Eliab. Eliab was the oldest son. Not only that, but the Bible makes a point of saying he's quite tall. So Eliab's the kind of dude who 
like, like Saul, stands there, probably pretty buff, probably had a middle name Hemsworth, um, stands there, good-looking dude. Now, not only that, not only is he good-looking, not only is he tall, not only does he look impressive, but he was the oldest son. And uh, how many oldest children do we have out there? Anyone? Okay, a couple. I'm, I'm going to speak to you in a second. I'm going to speak to you in a second. So he's the oldest son, which at that time means that if you were the oldest son, you got double the inheritance of all the rest of your siblings, okay? Now, to my, the oldest siblings out there, I'm the middle child, but I have learned enough in my life to understand when you're the oldest child, you're a bit of the guinea pig, right? You get treated the hardest. You don't get to have, like, you have no sugar until you're 25. Um, you've got to be home at 7.30 every night, um, whereas, like, the youngest child, they're drinking Coke at 3 and out at parties till... I know how it goes. I know how it goes. I've seen both sides. So maybe, maybe deserving that double portion. But anyway, Eliab was a dude with the money. Stature, good looks, he had the money. Not only that, he had the prestige and the authority of being the oldest son. And so Eliab is everything our world says would be your first choice. The person who should come first, right? But it goes on to say this. Uh, so Samuel said... Um, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Here's why. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Let me put that in modern day language. God's not impressed by the things that we get impressed about. Those people who walk in the room and look amazing and sound amazing, have charisma, have people falling all over, people falling all over them the people with the nicest house, with the ten boats. That's not the stuff that impresses God. What impresses God is uh, further... Uh, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Eliab isn't the choice here. And then, so that's cool. That's the first guy in the lineup. So um, the next one gets called forward. And I imagine this was kind of like the the really um, the slow motion walk from the next in line. You're like, well, that guy got passed over, so I'll just do a really slow walk. I have a friend who was called up to jury duty a couple of years ago, and um, when you get called forward, um, the, 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 the lawyers get to kind of like, uh, say they don't want you on the jury necessarily. So she was called up to do the jury duty, and she's doing the slowest walk she can possibly do, so they had the maximum amount of time to reject her and say she wouldn't be needed for her, and she got chosen. So she just had a slow walk for no reason. I reckon that's what these brothers are doing. So Eliab gets um, rejected. Um, and so then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. So then Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, no, nor has the Lord chosen this one. So it's, it's like getting like reality TV, like serious, like who's going to be the winner of Israel next top king. Um, so Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Now, I have a theory. My theory is, I can't prove this biblically, but I have a theory that Jesse's wife was not present. Because if you give birth to seven children, and the day before modern medicine, and then someone's like, oh, is this all you've got? You would slap the man of God. But anyway, she's not, it doesn't happen, so I don't think she's here. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, there is still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. 
So here's the thing. David wasn't even invited to the party. David is the youngest of all these, all these boys in the family. Uh, he's out looking after sheep, which at that time was not a particularly glamorous job. Shepherds at that time to look after their sheep would often sleep out in the fields with their sheep. They'd be stanky. They would be up in the middle of the night looking after sheep. They were, they'd be, you know, looking after these animals time and time again. And, and this is where David was relegated. It's like he's not even, he's not even going to come into the picture. But when David was out in the fields looking after the sheep, David would sing to God. David would write songs. David never lived under the assumption that God had forgotten about him. David is a guy who wrote psalms about, God, where could I go to be away from your presence? You're everywhere I go. David is a guy who goes, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David is a guy who goes, you know, every hair on my head, like this is who David is. And, and God sees into his heart and calls him out of the fields and says, you're the one I'm going to choose. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing is this, God sees differently. God sees differently. God doesn't look at Instagram to see how many followers everyone's got. He's looking to the heart. God sees differently. And if we're going to live between two worlds, we've got to understand that we can't go by how the rest of the world looks. We've got to look through God's eyes. And I had this moment uh, about a month or two ago where I, was, uh, I had some study to do, so I packed up a bag with all the books I was, I was going to read. Spoiler alert, didn't read. Um, and was walking up to Cornwall Park, which is near my place. And on the way, I saw this guy and this, 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 girl, uh, this woman talking. And I'll be really honest, I kind of had my headphones in. I was like, maybe if I just don't make eye contact, you know, they, I thought maybe they're going to try and sell me something or tell me about, I don't know, Amazonian whales who need haircuts or something like that. I don't know. Um, so I was walking up and, and they did stop me. And, and the guy's like, look, um, she's trying to find a way to this, this part in Cornwall Park. I'm from Hamilton. I don't live here. I can't help her. Can you, like, show her on the map where to go? And I said, well, actually, I'm walking there myself, not to that part, but I'll walk with you on this journey. And so as we, it was about a, about a, I don't know, 10-minute walk up to the park and then, like, another 20, 30 minutes into the park to get where she needed to go. Uh, and so I'm not always great at small talk, but I'm like, well, we've got a long journey ahead of us, so <laughs> asked her a whole lot of questions about where she was from. And her story was this. She's, uh, she'd moved from Fiji last year to study, so she'd been here almost 18 months at this point. Um, and she was living with her aunt, and she's, she was working. And in fact, that morning, she had been at work, finished her morning shift, gone home by bus, because she doesn't have a car, changed, made food, and then bussed back and was now walking this 40, 50 minutes to try and get to this um, barbecue to hang out with some work colleagues. And she was saying, you know, in Fiji, it's really easy to, to know people because you can walk past someone's house and if they're sitting in the front room having tea, they'll, they'll automatically invite you in. She said, Auckland's quite hard. Uh, I've been here almost 18 months and, you know, it's been quite hard to, to get to know people. And so we're walking, we finally get to the place where her work colleagues are meant to be and she can't find them anywhere. So she tries calling someone and there's no answer, so she leaves a voicemail, she tries calling someone else, she's texting, she's apologising to me. I'm like, fine, like, don't worry about me. And finally, after about five minutes of this, um, she gets a call and uh, they say, oh, yeah, we decided not to do the barbecue today. And I said to her, what are you, you going to do? And she said, I'll just go back home again. So I was like, well, I can at least... <laughs> and she's, like, apologising profusely to me. And in my head, I'm like, I really don't think I'm the one who's suffering here, like... I felt so bad for her. And so I walked her like another half hour back to the start of the park so she could find a bus. 
And then she wasn't in tears and she wasn't being melodramatic. Uh, she was being putting on a brave face to this whole thing. But right before we got to the end, she said this one line to me that really kind of hit home. And she said, thank you so much for today. I feel like today is the first time I've actually existed in Auckland. If I was to be super honest, when I first saw her, I thought, that's an inconvenience. I'm really thankful God's word challenged me enough to stop in that moment to help out because what I saw as being a minor inconvenience turned out to be probably the most profound thing I did that week. So for you and I, we need to see things differently. We need to see um, the things we do differently. Number two is this. So number one, God sees differently. Number two, God rewards differently. Our God rewards us for the way we live our life. And you know that passage read in Matthew before, there's a reward in this life, but there's also a reward in the life to come. In fact, 23 times in the New Testament, it specifically talks about God rewarding us for what we do. And you know, the, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, see, he didn't want to give up his money and follow Jesus because he's like, I have my reward, I don't want to squander that. But friends, there's a much bigger reward that is to come than just what we get in this lifetime. In fact, 1 Corinthians talks about this idea 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 15. And it talks about the way we live our lives. And in this scene differently, it also says, hey, look, your life is like a building. Your life is like a construction. And in the, the passage, it says this. For no one can lay any, other, any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which is to say this, anything that has eternal value, anything which has long-lasting influence in a good way, will have a foundation of Jesus but then it goes on to say this, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Now the day there with a capital D, that means the day where Jesus returns. It means the day where we stand before God and, and, and he looks at our life and, and gives us his verdict on our life. It's talking about that day of reward. And it says everything we have in our life, whatever we choose to build it with, we can choose to build it with heavenly treasures, with things of eternal value, or we can choose to build it with the things that serve us in the time being, things of straw and wood and hay. And it says the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Next verse. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only is one escaping through the flames. Now, this is not talking to people who don't know Jesus. This is talking to people who know Jesus. And it says, look, you can build your life and you will be saved. But if your life has been built all around you and what you can get for yourself, you'll escape as one escaping from a house in flames. In other words, with nada. And said, hey, there is a reward for living, for putting God and other people first, if we just live out to see it. So number one, God sees differently. Number two, God rewards differently. Number three is this. We should live differently. Now, we can live differently, so we should live differently. Because when we don't live for us, I don't know if you've ever heard this, that a person who lives for themselves is a very small parcel. Uh, when we live for other people, we make an eternal difference. We make a, a big difference. And we should live differently because it's better for the people around us, it's better for us, it's better for, for God's plan. If we live not trying to put ourselves first in every arrangement, but putting, um, but putting others before us, 
it completely changes the fabric of how we operate and the world around us. And like I said, tonight I really have in my heart, I really want to pray. I want to pray for people, I want to give people an opportunity to respond to God. I believe God is going to do something significant. Because sometimes putting ourselves first is quite difficult. And can I spell out for a moment what the Bible says about what it is to live out this way? Because we could kind of, sometimes it's easy to go, okay, yep, God, I can, for this week, um, rather than kind of cut some corners at work and, and make some quick cash, I can do things really ethically. Or maybe it's, hey, this week, rather than speak badly about that person at work who everyone else picks on, actually stand up and say, hey, this conversation isn't right. Whatever it may look like for you in your world, that it would mean to not put yourself first, but to put someone else first. Whatever it looks like, there's a couple of things we need to know about that. Number one, from Galatians 6, 9, says this. And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. Now, I love and struggle with the Bible because sometimes it doesn't just tell us what to do, but how to do it. And clear cut in the middle of it is don't allow yourselves to get weary or disheartened. Don't allow yourselves to get into that spot. Don't accept fatigue. Don't accept disappointment. For the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. So the first thing of what it means to, to live differently is we've got to live with persistence. Got to live with persistence. Come on, God, you're not done yet, so I'm not done. God, if you're not done, if, if your sacrifice for me was for all time, if you stand with me, if you were seated at the right hand of the Father cheering me on, then God, I'm not going to give up either. I'm going to keep putting myself second to serve your purposes first. So it's persistence. The second thing is faith. Hebrews 11.6. I like to uh, think this verse has a bit of like a, an uppercut right at the end because it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, okay, cool. Got to have faith. Sounds good. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Great. Good. Yep. Got to have faith. Faith means believing in you. I'm good. But then it goes on to say, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Which, not you, but for me and my human self, there are days where I'm like, yep, I can go second because my role in the world is to be the victim or that my role in the world is to be a martyr. I'm a joy to be around. Um, that's fine. Like, I can take one for the team. It's, it's my job here to, to just to kind of always come be the also ran, always to come second. But Hebrew says, it's not enough just to believe that God exists, but we've also got to believe that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And come on, so there's not just persistence, there's also faith with living a different way. And the third thing is this, is resolve. And uh, to... For this morning, I'm just going to allude to this passage, which tonight I really want to unpack, and it's in Daniel. And um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing before the king of Babylon, and he's saying, right, you either bow down to me, you either put yourself first and keep yourself safe, or you stick with following your God, stick with putting yourself second, stick with obeying this God of yours, and you're going to be thrown into a mighty furnace. And their response, this, this is like all-time greatest responses, like Braveheart, They'll never take our freedom, gladiator, strength and honor. Like, this is up there with all those like, action-packed movie quote lines. And it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Pretty, uh, pretty bold for the guy who's the most powerful man on earth at that time. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. 
and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set it up. Come on, living differently requires persistence, it requires faith, and it requires resolve. Persistence, faith, resolve. Persistence, faith, resolve. I am in this world, but I, but I have my allegiance to the other world to come. One of my all-time favorite stories is Victor Hugo's The Miserable. And there's this moment in that's an incredible book and has so much to say about what it is to live in faith. And, and, and there's this one moment where the character Jean Valjean, and it's this, in, this, in this massive, very, very long book, there's this half sentence that just caught me when I read it. And it says, Jean Valjean, full of the vision of another world. Come on, friends, would we be full of the vision of another world? Would we realise that success as the world sees it is only a very small part, that there is an eternity coming? Because here's the thing, when we don't focus on putting ourselves first, we remind ourselves that our God is the first and the last. Come on, He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the A and the Z. Come on, Hebrews says He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, which means He started it and He's going to complete the whole process. We just find ourselves in the middle. And if we will be faithful in the middle, with our first and last, with our God, if we live His way, only eternity will tell the difference we will make. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.